0: Hi, this is Mercedes, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, May 28th, and this is your Sunday Sermon. We're continuing in our sermon series called Getting There. If you've missed the first two sermons in this series, you can catch up right here on this media platform. Now, the whole idea behind this series is to look at the ways we can make forward progress in our spiritual walk, getting there in other words, to become more mature Christians. And to do that, we're looking at examples in the Psalms, Proverbs, and Second Chronicles. Today in Part 3, we're looking at Psalm 42, verses 1-11, to And we're going to dive into the idea of longing for the Lord. There's a lot to talk about today, but as we always do, let's take a moment and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, you are so good to us. We are so honored to be able to listen to you today. Lord, speak from your word. Move us. Move us in a way that prompts us to be doers of your word. And I thank you for all that have come to listen and or be there in person or watch the video. To you be all honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Let me ask you have you ever experienced discouragement? My guess is that most of you have, and perhaps some even on a daily basis. Most of us go through some dry times and low seasons of life, for sure. Many years ago, a young Midwestern lawyer, suffered from such depression that his friends kept all knives and razors out of his reach. He questioned his life's calling and just wanted to give up. This is what he wrote in his journal. I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. To remain as I am is impossible. Do you know who wrote those words? Abraham Lincoln. That's right. Charles Spurgeon shocked his listeners when he said this in a sermon, and I quote, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to, end quote. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, depression strikes about 17 million adults in the US each year, more than cancer, AIDS, or heart disease. Half of all Americans say they or one of their family members have suffered from depression. The Journal of American Medical Association has stated, more suffering has resulted from depression than any other single disease affecting mankind. Let me say at the beginning that I don't know much about clinical depression, though I have tasted it personally a few times in my life. I do know that depression is a very complex condition that can be rooted in spiritual, emotional, mental, biological, or physiological causes, or a combination thereof. If you struggle with depression today, I hope you're seeking professional medical help. And if you're not, then I hope you will. There is no shame in admitting that you need some help. Having said that, I want us to take a look at Psalm 42 today so that you can better understand the kind of depression that can happen to us. Let me list a couple of background truths before we jump in. First of all, Psalm 42 is a maskil, M-A-S-K-I-L. Similar to Psalm 32, this is a teaching psalm intended to help us learn how to handle the spiritual blahs or blues. We could call it how to deal with depression or beating the blahs. And secondly, the inscription identifies this as a maskil of the sons of Korah. This refers to a family of singers. Tradition regards this as a psalm written by David for the sons of Korah who put it to music. The context in which David wrote this is when he was forced to flee into the wilderness because his son Absalom was leading a rebellion against him as recorded in 2 Samuel 15 and 16. David was removed from his throne. His life was threatened. His friends had bailed on him. He was ridiculed and mocked, and he was miles away from the temple where he loved to worship. David was piled with problems. He was on the run. He was alone. He was discouraged. This was his personal ground zero. He's been where some of you are today. Turn with me in your Bible or Bible app to Psalm 42, and let's listen in as David longs for the Lord in the midst of his troubles. Here we go, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with a multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon. From Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Friends, if you're looking for a way to beat the blues today, to beat the blahs, David gives us four steps here in this psalm to put it into practice, to help us to get there. Here's the first one. Seek God with everything you've got. David starts by beginning in verse 1 that he longs for God. Let's read that again. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Deer are fun to watch. There's something about them that makes us stop what we're doing and just look at them. Several months ago, I was on the golf course with one of our elders, John. We were on a cart path heading to our next shots. When we arrived, a deer came up to him in the cart, seemingly out of nowhere. It just showed up. He had a few snack crackers, so he gave one to the deer, and she took it and went away. About that time, the refreshment cart came up and stopped right by us. A young lady who was driving came over to us. and My friend John told her about the deer. She called it by name. She had named the deer because she saw it so often and told us that deer is always there and has been around people so long she just comes right up to them from the woods. You know, when a deer is thirsty, they will run full speed until they find water. And when they finally find it, they'll stick their face into the cool stream, forgetting everything else around them. This is unusual for deer because they're usually very alert and cautious, but when they're panting, they'll do almost anything to quench their thirst. And during drought conditions, deer will alter their daily routine to make sure they can find water. Whenever a deer senses danger, it will run to a stream. Most hunters think the deer is trying to avoid leaving a scent. The deer, however, seeks water for a different reason. When a deer is retreating from an enemy, it develops a tremendous thirst. Fear and the physical strain of running create a strong desire for water. David is picturing himself like a deer that's on the run in desperate search of refreshment. Now take a look again at verse two. It tells us that just as the deer can't wait to quench its thirst, David's soul is thirsting for the living God. He wants to know God, He's seeking him with everything he has. It's hard for us to get really thirsty today because there's soft drink machines and water fountains everywhere. But thirst is powerful. It must be satisfied or we're going to die. Have you ever been thirsty spiritually? Does your soul pant for God? Only the living God can quench the thirst of the human heart. Just as a deer knows instinctively where to find water when it's thirsty, so too we must seek God with everything we've got. Isaiah 26, 9 says, In the night I search for you. In the morning I earnestly seek you. Jesus put it this way in John 7:37: Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Friends, we're all thirsty for God, but not everyone comes to him to have that thirst quenched. Many times we look to other things to satisfy us. Jeremiah 2:13 says, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Folks, make it a priority to plug into God. It's great to see you on Sunday mornings. It's great to see you right here on this media platform, also on our midweek Bible study as well. These can help satisfy your parched soul. And if for some reason you can't be in person with us or you can't get connected, Get back to this media platform so you can get the teaching every week or get back to your local church. Get fed, plug in, be a part of the community. So the first step in beating the blues is to seek God with everything we've got. The second step is be honest when you can't. I would encourage you all to read Psalm 10. There you're going to find that the spiritual life is not always smooth sailing. We have down times as well. There are seasons in life when we're hurting. There are times when we wonder why God seems so far away. A deer loves to find water and quench its thirst, but sometimes it gets into trouble as well. Do you feel like you're stumbling spiritually? Are tremors rocking your life? Do you have a hard time swallowing the things that come your way? David can relate. Look at verse three. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? His appetite had vanished because of all his afflictions. His only source of nutrition was the salt from his own tears. Drop down to verse seven. It says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. As one wave seems to call to the next, so too the waves of worry and the breakers of bad things have swept over him. In verses nine and ten, He wonders if God has somehow misplaced him. He feels so low that he feels like he's dying. Read verses 9 and 10 with me. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? A key part of the process of defeating depression is to be honest when you're hurting. You can be real before God. And you can be yourself here at Word of Hope, or I hope that's true in your local congregation, if you have one. You don't have to fake it here at Word of Hope, and you certainly shouldn't have to fake it wherever you are worshiping. And, beloved, if you're not plugged into a local congregation, I just pray that you'll find one. A Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching congregation that will care for you, where you can be you. Seek God with everything you've got. Be honest when you can't. And the third part of the process is to force yourself to remember truth. Look at verse 4, the first part of verse 4. It says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And verse 6 says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. The Hebrew here conveys a strong expression of determination. I will remember. When you're in the pits and you feel like there's no way out, then resolve to remember what is true. I know when I'm down, it's easy for me to lose sight of what's really true. Doubts can creep in. Despair can actually skewer my soul. Even though I know what is true, I need to force myself to remember it, or I'm going to have a difficult time overcoming the blues. Peter put it this way in 2 Peter 1.12. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. What is it that David remembers? Well, first of all, he remembers the fellowship he used to have. Look at verse 4b. I used to go with a multitude, he said. David is alone, probably afraid. And he thinks back to a time of sweet fellowship that he had with other believers. A smile begins to form on his face. He can't wait to reconnect with God's people again. Friend, one of the best things you can do when you're down is to be with the people of God. I know this is difficult because when you feel low, you want to be alone. But God has put within each of us the need and the desire for community. We're not meant to function alone. We need one another. If you've been disengaging from people, if you've been pulling back, then determine purpose to get back in touch with them. Hebrews 10.25 challenges those of us who are not consistent in our church attendance. It says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This is not about missing one Sunday here, folks. This is about a consistent pattern of not attending. We need to break that cycle. It's an intentional thought on our part to get back involved. Back in 2002 at the Quee Creek Mine in Somerset, Pennsylvania, nine miners were trapped underground for 77 hours. Do you know what kept the men going? They tied themselves together so they would, quote, live or die as a group, end quote. They huddled closely so they could stay warm, and they also worked at keeping each other encouraged. In an interview, one of the miners said this, and I quote, everybody had strong moments. At any certain time, maybe one guy got down and the rest pulled together, and then that guy would get back up, and maybe somebody else would feel a little weaker. But it was a team effort. That's the only way it could have been done, end quote. Listen carefully, my friends. The only way to do the Christian life is to live it in community with others. We're a team. When you're down, ask for help. When you're up, encourage those who are faint hearted. Second, David forces himself to remember the sweetness of corporate worship. He says in verse 4, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. While it's important for us to be with each other, We must never forget that we're together in order to give shouts of joy and thanksgiving to God. We're together so that we can worship him. Third, David locks into the fact that he serves a living God as shown in verse two. God is not dead. He's not sleeping. He's alive and at work even when we can't sense him. We could say it this way. He is God and we are not. In fact, let's say that a little bit differently. He is God and I am not. Would you say that with me? Let's go. He is God, and I am not. Fourth, David remembers that God loves him. Look at verse eight. It says, by day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. The word day in that verse, it refers to prosperity. David's expectation was that a time of goodness would return and the loving kindness of God would be manifested in him again. When you're feeling low, Force yourself to remember these truths. You need people. You need worship. He is God, and you are not, and he loves you. The Hebrew here is very interesting. The tense is not only referring to the past in I used to go. It could also refer to the future. I will go. He's making up his mind to trust God and do what is right, even when he doesn't feel like it. And that leads to the final step. Decide to trust God. In this psalm, David talks to God and he talks to himself. It's not always bad to talk to yourself, actually. In fact, when you're down, we often need to force ourselves to remember and trust. In his book, Spiritual Depression, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, and question yourself. You must say to yourself, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? Now let's take a look at verses five and 11. First, verse five says, why are you downcast on my soul? This phrase comes from the picture of a cast sheep. A cast sheep was a sheep that was flat on its back and couldn't get up without the help of its shepherd. Then David continues in verse 11. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. So what he is saying in these two verses is this. He's saying, self, even though you're depressed, it's time to trust God. Folks, this is a decision of the will. It's a decision to put your hope in God, even when we can barely eke out the words. We must let our faith conquer our fears and let hope win out over sorrow. Hope is not a vain feeling that maybe something better will come. Rather, it is a certain expectation of faith in God that he will come through for us. This is a courageous step to take, no doubt. Are you willing to wait for God to do his work, even when you don't know how you can even make it through the day? Can you choose to praise him even when your problems are piled up? David says, I'm going to praise God even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to trust his character He's God and I'm not. He loves me and therefore I can put my hope in him and do what's right. The final step is more fully developed in Psalm 43, the next Psalm. According to many Bible scholars, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 were originally one Psalm. Look in your Bibles and you'll see that Psalm 43 has no heading and verse 5 is identical to verses 5 and 11 in Psalm 42. While Psalm 42 is a dialogue between David and his soul, in Psalm 43, David speaks directly to God. Check this out. Look at Psalm 43, 1. It says, vindicate me, O God. And in verse 2, you are my stronghold. In verse 3, he asks God to send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then David gets to the core. When he's at his personal ground zero, he makes up his mind in verse 4. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O oh God, my God. David comes back to the central truth of it all, God himself. His trust in him is now fully expressed as he comes to the altar of God. Now we here at Word of Hope Christian Church don't have an altar, but we do have a special time every Sunday when we meet where we can be reminded of what is really important. It's a time where the past reality of God's ground zero at the cross of Christ can become a present refuge and a future hope. It's a time we call communion. As we prepare to celebrate communion each and every Sunday, we wanna focus our thoughts and our hearts on the role that memory plays in our faith. When David said in Psalm 42, verse six, therefore I will remember you, Nothing is different, yet everything is changed. It's at this point that some hope sneaks back into his life. Listen carefully. Sometimes the recovery of our hope doesn't depend on making sense of the present moment, but rather in our memories of who God is and what he has done for us. Ultimately, we cling to the memory of what happened on the cross, where Jesus died for you and me. Someone said that the past provides a stable foundation for our existence because it's unchangeable. We would not have a future to look forward to if we didn't have a reliable past to look back on. British neurologist Oliver Sacks tells of a man, I'll call Joey, whose memory was a sieve. Joey remains forever stuck thinking it's 1945. Harry Truman is president and the war has just ended. Joey's a very nice man, but if you spend two hours talking to him and leave him in a room for a minute and then you come back, he'll greet you as if it's the first time. Dr. Sachs has observed that the overall effect of this temporal vacuum is that Joey has no joy. Joey is joyless because he is confined to an ever-changing yet meaningless present moment. With nothing new ever to look back on, and with nothing ever to look forward to, joy is impossible for him. According to Dr. Sachs, there's only one time when Joey displays some joy. It's when he takes communion. There's something about this ordinance that helps Joey anchor his reality to the past. It's the assurance that Jesus loves him and died for him and it gives Joey a glimmer of hope for the present and the future. My friend, maybe you're so down today that the cross is all you have to go on because right now nothing else makes much sense. We don't come to this point of communion because we have it all together. We come because we often feel like we're falling apart. We come because we admit that sometimes we don't know where God is. But this we do know. We can remember one time when there is no doubt where God was and what he was doing. It was that time when he allowed his son to hang on the cross as our substitute. And if we're honest, some of us feel a little bit like Joey. But by God's grace, we can find a pocket of stillness and a moment of joyful clarity when we meet Jesus in this moment. We're called today to take and remember and through that to believe. This is not a memorial to a dead hero, but an encounter with the living God. The cross is our stable past to anchor our present and our future. Because of what Jesus did for us, we can seek him with everything we've got. We can be honest when we can't. We can force ourselves to remember what is true, and we can decide to trust God. When we remember, we find hope again. That doesn't mean that everything suddenly becomes smooth sailing, but it does give us assurance that one day, one day, we will yet praise God again. When we remember how far God went to forgive our sins, we'll know for sure that he will never let us go. The crucifixion of Christ is a past reality that we cannot change, but a reality that somehow changes us. To God be the glory and all his people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.